Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and Josh, today I'm going to beat you like a dead homeless guy. Oh, Merry Christmas! Just <laughs> such a festive way to start this episode. Thank you for that, Jason. <laughs> Uh, Jason, who is the holiday spirit guy who is always uh, making sure that we celebrate the holidays here on Awesome Movie Year, but a bit of a lump of coal that you're bringing us to start this episode, Jason. Josh, can't talk now. Got to jump off a building and save a baby. Wee! All right. Well, that was a little more optimistic. So what's going on here? (laughs) Well, we are celebrating Christmas. As we, I guess, always do now, uh, pretty much every year, we've we've done something related to the holidays with a couple of special episodes looking back to a couple of our previous seasons. And in this episode, we are looking back at our season on the films of 2003 to cover the anime film, the Japanese animated film Tokyo Godfathers from director Satoshi Kon, which is the heartwarming, I guess, story of uh, three homeless people who find an abandoned baby on Christmas Eve and go through all sorts of misadventures to try to reunite the baby with its parents. Yeah, Josh, I know you told me I'm never allowed to bring up the baby that you threw out in a dumpster, <laughs> but I feel like today you should make an exception. Um, I have no response to that. <laughs> <laughs> so much Christmas cheer from you in this episode, Jason. Hey, this is the movie, man. This is the movie. That, that is true. Uh, no, Dave and I wanted to do a cheerful Christmas movie called Eyes Wide Shut, uh, mm. but this was also on the list, and we chose this one, so we're rolling with it. Yeah, no, I think this was a good choice, and as we talked about when we were figuring this out, uh, anime is something that we've never covered here. I think it's fair to say that none of us are exactly anime experts, but it is a major area of world cinema, and it's something that's uh, good for us to finally get into. Satoshi Khan is a major director within this world, although he only made four films, died very young, sadly. But this movie is beloved. And it's interesting to me that this is a Christmas movie from Japan, because as I was watching this movie, I was wondering, like, do they celebrate Christmas in Japan? Are there Christians? And and I looked this up, and apparently only between one and one and a half percent of Japanese people are Christian. So it's a very small Uh, portion of the population but christmas itself is more widely celebrated as a secular holiday with santa claus and christmas trees and you know all the kind of things that we hear in the u.s that that people use even though they're not necessarily religious and uh, apparently a big christmas tradition in japan is eating kfc Mm. yeah well that's uh i would I, i could go for fried chicken but not kfc uh, where I worked in high school, so ah, but uh, not in Japan. No, but um, I uh, I I celebrated the first night of Hanukkah yesterday by playing Santa Claus in a commercial during the day and acting in a Christmas show at night. So I'm as secular as it comes when it comes to using mm-hmm. Christmas as a holiday, right? And I think that's the thing here is that it's just become this sort of like pop cultural kind of juggernaut, and people ascribe whatever random traditions they want, like eating KFC, you know, because it's created, apparently KFC ran a successful advertising campaign in like the seventies or eighties or something in Japan 
to convince people that this was, I don't know, I guess some sort of all American thing to do on this American holiday. And now it's uh, and now it's a huge thing there. So I it's I mean, in America, we we would say maybe uh, along the lines of how we celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Right. Yeah. Like most Americans have no idea what Cinco de Mayo is. But it's like Cinco de Trinco, you know, here's a holiday. <laughs> right. Or, or St. Patrick's Day or something like that that we, we yeah. end up with here. So, yeah, I suppose Christmas is uh, the American equivalent of Cinco de Mayo in Japan. <laughs> so, um, What is the Cinco de Mayo equivalent in Japan? Yeah, um, maybe Cinco de Mayo. I didn't look that one up. I just was curious mm-hmm. about celebrations of Christmas there. So, All right. Anyway, this movie... I guess was not a box office success per se. I assumed it would have been successful in Japan. Allegedly, according to the numbers, which is usually a decent source for box office info, it grossed only $847,000 worldwide, which I assume would include Japan, on its budget of $2.4 million. But I'm not sure I 100% believe that because I think Satoshi Kon and his previous films, um, Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress, were, were quite popular there and that this would have been as well. But maybe not. I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, I will say, you know, uh, as you mentioned, none of us are experts. I've watched a good amount of Miyazaki movies, so I. But this was my first uh, Satoshi Kon film. Yeah, I saw uh, Paprika, which was the film he made after this, and was actually his final film when that was released in 2006. So it's been quite a while, but I haven't seen his others. And and yeah, I've seen a handful of other anime films, including a couple Miyazaki movies, but not as many as you have. But yeah, I, I mean, there's a whole vast, vast world of this stuff that we're not really familiar with. And this is, I feel like this, however, is perhaps a good gateway because it tells a pretty straightforward story that involves Christmas that is, I, I think, accessible and familiar for a, like an American audience if you're not familiar with with how these films are made or their approach to storytelling. Um, so if you've never seen an anime film, this might not be a bad place to start. Um, sure. I mean, <laughs> I, is there is there ever a bad, bad place to start? Like, can you name a movie like, hey, I've never seen X type of movie, but I'm going to start with blank. And that's a bad one to start with. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if I can say that for anime because I'm not familiar enough. But I mean, I you know, I love horror movies. And you could say like, well, if you wanted to check out horror movies, maybe don't start with something like super extreme, you know, don't watch Cannibal Holocaust as your first ever horror movie or whatever. So I think that is a thing. No way. You got to throw the kids in the deep end, buddy. <laughs> they, they're never going to swim if you don't let them, you know, work it out for themselves. Yeah. Jason says kids should watch Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> um, this was also you're the one who threw a baby out josh so i feel like i'm much less you know in the wrong here so much so much holiday happiness here today uh this was also inspired in part by the john ford western film three godfathers from 1948 which was about three outlaws who find a baby on christmas and starred john wayne i have not seen that film jason have you seen that no it's tough to find i did try to find it this week, but I was not able to. At least it's tough to find for free. Let's say that. Fair enough. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't look for it because I didn't have the time this week. But I would watch. I mean, a John Ford Western starring John Wayne. That's totally something that I would check out. So when you love babies. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about the baby part, but uh, the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Josh, do you want to start this by critiquing the 
anime baby in this episode and how terrible of an actress this baby that's drawn is no the the anime baby is cute i prefer anime babies to real babies i will say (laughs) um i also thought it was interesting that this is the fourth holiday movie from 2003 that we have covered here on awesome movie year so quite a year for, Mm. for christmas classics i guess elf elf bad santa and love actually and and in fact our audience choice in our 2003 season was christmas movies and the audience chose bad santa and then later on we did bonus episodes on both elf and love actually which were the other choices so uh and all of those are major like movies that people watch every year at christmas what the fuck is your problem kid <laughs> thank you for your uh, bad santa impression you're welcome yeah so um, this movie did get it got a pretty limited American release, but uh, it was well received by critics generally in the U.S. Roger Ebert said the movie's story is melodrama crossed with pathos, sometimes startling, hard boiled action and enormous coincidence. The streets of Tokyo seem empty and grim as the three godparents protect the child and eventually begin a search for its true parents. And the story involving those parents is more complicated than we imagine. There are scenes in an abandoned house, in an alley of homeless dwellings, in a drugstore that seem forlorn and hopeless, and then other scenes of surprising warmth, leading up to a sensational ending and a quite remarkable development in which two lives are saved in a way possible only in animation. Uh, and I believe that would be the reference of jumping out of the building to save the baby and spoiler uh you know a gust of wind catches them on an awning or a a banner that saves them yes yeah i believe that is what he's referring to so yeah spoiler alert they don't kill the baby in this christmas movie (laughs) yeah that is a that's quite a spoiler (laughs) yeah but i mean there is a sense of sort of magical realism to this story and i mean the magic of christmas and that kind of stuff with all those coincidences is these people seem to randomly encounter all of the significant um, figures from their past randomly as they go through the city trying to find this kid's parents. So um, it's not like a fantasy movie per se, but it's not a realistic movie either, really. No, it's a realistic setting where, like you said, it's all about coincidences which to me became a little too much but yes uh that uh that you know you're using a a real world setting to tell a a more uh, mystical and magical story right it's it's the magic of christmas so i i didn't mind those coincidences i kind of thought that was the point i know it's the point i'm just saying i didn't dig it dude all right fair enough i understand the point of the film josh all right. I, I, just because you're a noted film critic and I'm just a schlub over here doesn't mean I can't figure out how movies go. I I didn't think that that was the case. So I do you want to insult. Guys, stop me? fighting. It's Christmas. Yeah. Do you want to insult me anymore in front of the family, Josh? <laughs> here at Christmas dinner. I'm sorry. I'm not as successful as you. And I followed the path into the arts while you got a normal nine to five and a house and a wife, Josh. Man, I have none of those things. <laughs> Manola Dargis in the Los Angeles Times said among this film's modest delights perhaps the happiest is that it never sacrifices pleasure for finger wagging and hand wringing at once a model of craft and encouraging proof that the future of animation exists beyond the glories of Pixar 
and Hayao Miyazaki, Tokyo Godfathers is more than anything else great fun. The language tends to be far saltier than most American animations, and the cute and fuzzy take a back seat to the carnivalesque and modestly freaky. But this is also foremost a movie that aims to please, complete with laughter and tears. In some way, Hannah, Jin, and Miyuki are modern-day magi, bearing tidings and visions from other lands. But mostly what they have to offer is another, more precious gift, that of a well-told story forged on vision and delivered with heart. And Josh, nothing's more fun than abandoning a baby that you stole because your baby was stillborn and died. Yeah, they get some heavy stuff. Spoiler there, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, mean, in the, I mean, we're going to spoil the movie. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, no, no, there's heavy stuff in the stories of all of these people. I mean, all of the, the main three characters have this, like, tragedy in their lives. And, and part of the whole coincidence thing is that they, I don't know if they really resolve that, but they at least are able to kind of um, have some emotional closure, maybe, with the people that, that they've left or that have left them in their lives. It's a bridge to resolution uh, with most of it. But yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, it all worked out for them. Well, I don't know if I would go that far. but It all worked out. What a merry Christmas indeed. Yeah, the baby, the baby got uh, its happy ending. The rest of them, it still seems a little unsettled, which I appreciated that it's not like, oh, everything's great now that these people still have stuff to get through. Yeah, but they give you the kind of path to see how they are going to find peace and resolution yes yes so finally tasha robinson in the av club was a little less enthused she said khan's major cinematic conceit is that the abandoned infant serves as a remarkable source of luck and possibly even a quote messenger from god nothing else could explain the film's incessant bizarre coincidences even assuming a heavy dose of divine intervention some of tokyo godfather's plot twists don't make sense but Khan appears more interested in feel-good Christmas miracles and broad caper movie comedy than in detective logic. The results are funny and even touching, but also slight, cutesy, and more than a bit pandering, especially by comparison with Millennium Actress and Perfect Blue's giddy challenges. Yes, it is more interested in feel-good miracles than logic, as Josh hammered us. That is the point of this film. Yeah, right? I don't think you got it's not the point, supposed but to follow. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you need to talk to Manola Dargis. Ta Tasha Robinson. Tell her. Tasha Robinson. Well, then, yeah, you could talk to both of them, but for different reasons, you know. <laughs> I'd be happy yeah, to. I mean, I don't understand how you missed that, you know. That's the point of the movie is coincidence, 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 coincidence. Right. I mean, I guess I understand. I mean, like you said, it got a little too much for you. And I, I guess I, I can understand that where it's like, even if you know that that's what he's aiming for, maybe you, you just can't buy into it or whatever. But yeah, it, it does seem like that that is the main purpose here that, that she's sort of discounting. Yeah, it got a little tiresome for me. Um, but, you know, again, it's a Christmas movie. It's not the first Christmas movie that uses magic and the spirit of Christmas to get us through. Right, exactly. I mean, I think there are plenty of Christmas movies with more absurd contrivances that are harder to get around, I think, probably. I think, you know, you've talked about some of those other movies, like, you know, obviously Elf is another movie you could say uses a real world setting for the most part, New York, but has a much larger jump in, you know, kind of suspending disbelief. But, you know, when you go all in on it and you can make it work in a movie like Elf, you know, then it, it 
leads to great results. Right. I mean, an elf has like actual magical creatures, you know, which this does not have. But I mean, even something like Love Actually is built on the idea of all these little coincidences, coincidences. and the characters who yeah. run into each other. All that's like, again, that's the point of that movie, too. And I'm sure there are people who complain about that because, as I imagine we talked about in our episode, that movie has a passionate uh, hate following. But again, that's kind of the point there is is those those coincidences and those encounters. And a passionate love follower. Well, that too. Actually. Yes, it actually has both. Um, so, Jason, had you seen this film before? Uh, no. I mean, this was on my uh, to-watch list on my Just Watch app. I said I would like to watch this one. And now I've watched it. So you took it off the list. Give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you said, so you hadn't seen any Satoshi Kon films? No, this was my first one. But I, you know... Um, as you know, Josh, every year go searching, oh, what are some holiday movies I haven't seen before? And a lot of people in the last year or two uh, definitely have been pumping this movie up. So I was glad to finally get around to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, like I said, I saw Paprika and and I liked it, but I think I was sort of perplexed by it. And And this is an outlier in that Paprika and his first two films, Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress, are all these kind of surreal sci-fi stories where the line between what's real and what's like imagined or what's a fantasy is constantly blurred. And I think that got to be maybe a little much for me in those, in that one film that I saw, though it was a long time ago. So I, maybe I liked that this one was a bit more straightforward. Um, but I still would like to see more. I was hoping to maybe watch Perfect Blue uh, before we did this episode, which is very short and was available to stream, but I just didn't have time for that. But I still would be interested in checking that out. I agree. I, I would like to watch all of this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Dave, had you uh, seen this or any Satoshi Kon films? I had not. I was aware of his films, but um, yeah, I, I've never been a big anime guy. So. I was going to ask you, Dave, because, you know, Josh and I kind of talked about what our anime viewing habits have been. Have you watched any anime or? Pretty much no. Um, you know, obviously anime and video games kind of have always been like side by side. And so, you know, when I was younger, I tried to make the jump and I just found myself always like kind of drifting off a little bit they're, they're just a little too uh manic you know just uh, go boom 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 through the whole story and i just always find it hard to focus on them. it's a different you know style of storytelling and animation than we're used to that we grew up with american cartoons yeah. but you know as right now especially kind of with access to everything all over the world like crunchyroll anime services yeah. are huge like in you know uh, we're recording this right as the new Miyazaki movie is about to hit theaters, The Boy and the Heron, and that's going to do really good business. There's such a large worldwide audience for for uh, anime at the moment. Yeah, that's oh, that's yeah. so true. But I I kind of am with Dave in that. Like, I think I've seen. I mean, I think I've seen more anime than he has. But um, I too have like a rough time kind of getting into the rhythms of the storytelling in you know from from various different filmmakers whether it's this or it's a Miyazaki film or something else and I mean I'm a terrible American because I'm like like I watched the recent Scott Pilgrim uh anime style show on Netflix which is not and I mean it's an American 
the cartoon, but I'm like, I like the American fast food version of anime, not the authentic version of it. That's what I'm in. Does that, does that make you a terrible or a great American judge? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it makes me a, a, a terrible like cinephile, but uh, a, a stereotypical mm. American, perhaps. Xenophobic film lover. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> the Scott Pilgrim anime on uh, Netflix is great. I will say that. I'm excited. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's very, very uh, good. So uh, anything else you want to mention about the background of this film, Jason? Josh, from the uh, press notes uh, from Satoshi Khan, he wrote, the film is an attempt to restore in a healthy way the miracles and coincidences that have been pushed into the other world by the weapons of scientific logic. Right. I mean, that that sounds like exactly what we were just talking about and what uh, Tasha Robinson missed there that, uh, right. that that that's what is really the point of this film and you know he goes on to talk about how what the literal definition of a family is doesn't have to be what your family is in real life and this is about kind of creating your own family right which is a very common Christmas movie theme and uh, we'll probably get into that more when we come back and talk more of our general thoughts on Tokyo Godfathers Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this special holiday bonus episode thingy. We are looking back to 2003, the year of holiday movies, apparently, to talk about Tokyo Godfathers from Satoshi Khan. And and Jason, where would you place? You're the Christmas movie expert. Where do you place this in the Christmas movie pantheon? Can't talk now, Josh. Rescuing a Yakuza boss from being run over by his own car. <laughs> yeah, quite a lot of action in this film for a movie about Christmas and a baby. You know what? You're right. You could totally see someone trying to remake this as a live action piece. And I think it, this would lend itself to that. And of course, as we know from uh, anime that has been remade into live action, have Scarlett Johansson star as the Asian lead. Yeah, that that maybe get her to not only star as the Asian lead, but that the, as the Asian trans lead. That would really just encompass all of those those missteps that she's made. Oh, yeah. oh man, um, I I I enjoyed this movie just fine. I didn't love it, so you know it's not going to go down as like a quote unquote every year, every other year a holiday film, but. I watched it alone. I'd be happy to watch it again with my daughter or watch it again, you know, as I'm kind of revisiting other, not revisiting, but visiting Satoshi Khan movies. And um, yeah, I can see myself watching this again around the holidays sometime. Yeah. I, I mean, unlike you, I don't tend to watch these holiday movies again and again, but I don't think that it would go on my list along with my favorites. And I, I'm with you that I liked it fine. Like I said, I think I have a tough time getting into the rhythms of anime. And that was true here, but but I I enjoyed it for the most part. I didn't I didn't love it. It made me curious to try to check out the rest of those Satoshi Khan films, but I don't know that I'd watch this one again. I agree, but I mean, you know, in a way, that's kind of like the best compliment you could give a filmmaker. Like I watched one of this filmmaker's movies, and now I want to watch more of this filmmaker's movies. Right, right. I mean, and I think I I had wanted that anyway. You know, having seen Paprika all that time ago, and you know, he's got such a a legend in part because he died so young and left this small body of work that's just grown in reputation over time. And it's something that I wanted to check out. And, and, and also because I've seen a couple Miyazaki films and really didn't care for them. And so I'm like, well, I'm, I'll try some other avenue to get into anime rather than the one filmmaker that everyone loves. I mean, I, I 
definitely uh, I'm a big Miyazaki fan. Right. I don't have to love all of this stuff, but I'm always enjoying it. Uh, you know, I did watch the um, the original Ghost in the Shell this year, not the Scarlett Johansson version. So, yeah, I've seen um, both, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, as you said, we're not experts on this. We're uh, coming to it with um, a casual knowledge or a casual base of reference. So. Uh, to me, it was less um, watching it as, I guess, a quote unquote anime film and more watching it as a holiday film. Right. I mean, and it is it is both. And I think it works as a holiday film. I mean, it's one of those movies that e- even though it is about like the magic of Christmas, it's not hammering you over the head constantly with like Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And that may be because in Japan, it's not as, you know, prominent a holiday as it is here. You know, we start with this religious service that the characters are attending that's about Christmas. And then when they leave there, they end up finding the baby. And after that, we kind of get various references. But it takes place over a, a like, what, several days or a week leading up to New Year's, which I got the impression is a much more major holiday in Japan than Christmas. I didn't even consider it one way or the other because it's all a Christmas movie. You right. know? So it's all takes... Uh, you know, as we know, living here in America, Christmas is four months long or three months long at yes, this point it is. in time. Yeah, so. we're we're releasing this episode after Christmas, but it's still Christmas. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but Josh, you mentioned uh, Hannah, the the trans uh, character, and this was 2003. So, you know, and who knows how long this had been kind of developed. This is pretty progressive to have one of your three main characters, and in a lot of ways, the conscience of the movie as a uh, trans person, um, you know, at that time, you didn't see a lot of characters like this. Right. And I think it's pretty well handled. I mean, it's it's exaggerated at times, but so is everything in this film. I mean, that's kind of the style. Yeah, I don't give it I don't take any quote unquote points away for that because that fits in with the rest of the the story. Right. And I don't know that it's been, you know, criticized for its representation at all. I, I hadn't seen that anywhere. And I think, yeah, overall, it's good. And they don't make her like a subject of mockery or or not any more so than any of the other characters and not because of who she is, but just if she does kind of silly, ridiculous things, which they all do. You know, they're all these sort of bumbling people who are trying to figure their lives out and make poor choices at times. And that's what the movie is, is, is getting them to a place of kind of understanding better how their lives have gone and, and people that they need to you know, reconcile with or whatever. And and it's the same for her as it is for the other two characters. I think so. I think all of them have conflicts that, you know, they carry with them. And um, I don't know if I love all the resolutions of those conflicts, but, you know, you can understand how they uh, are constantly carrying uh, a weight with them. Yeah. I mean, I did feel like on the one hand, like I was saying earlier, I like that it's not everything is just wrapped up in a bow and it doesn't end with like all the characters and their estranged um, relatives slash uh, associates or whatever, having like a big Christmas dinner and they're all happy together. But it it did seem like a little haphazard, maybe some of those resolutions to the storylines. I mean, especially the very, very end where it's just like, it ends very abruptly. Yeah, it does. I didn't mind that though, because it was like, you know, who knows? Is this, is this the type of thing that we know now has become beloved had Khan lived longer? You could have seen a sequel to this and seen how those resolutions played out. Maybe it's 10 years later and, you know, they are the godparents of this child. Maybe now we see that relationship. 
Yeah, it's it's like three men and a little lady. Let's uh, <laughs> let's cancel the sequel. Yeah, I did think <laughs> about three men and a baby as I was watching this, though. Uh-huh. Were you waiting for this uh, baby to make a doodle? Yeah, I mean, they. I have to say that these characters were much more capable at taking care of a child than the men in Three Men and a Baby were, at least initially. Well, yes, Josh, but um, you've really set a high bar for comparison. So, um, you, you know, um, I, I don't know where to take this conversation now that you've done this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so. We talked about Hannah, the trans character. We also have Jin, or is it Gin? I, I don't know. I think it's Jin. Jin, who is this kind of, I don't know, middle-aged, I guess, alcoholic. And he he keeps changing his story about why he's no longer with his wife and his daughter, um, who at one point he says are dead, but then it turns out that they're not. And you know, so his thing is that he's estranged or has been left by or left his daughter and so when they when they pick up this child that brings up a lot of those feelings for him well he gambled basically all of his um money away right so he had the shame of now not being able to um you know take care of his family and i think he left them because of what he um was unable to do as a provider and a father i mean Right, but he kind of changes that story for a while until we find out the truth when he coincidentally encounters his adult daughter, who now is a nurse in a hospital where they end up. I think the interesting, the most interesting stuff with Jin is when he finds that old homeless man that I mentioned and this kind of like look forward of, hey, this is what's probably going to become of Right. And I wondered if that was going to be, I mean, because this movie does have this sort of magical realist tone, I, and I hadn't seen it before, I kept waiting for it to maybe become fully supernatural. And I was wondering if that was going to somehow be like his actual future self, because he's dressed in the same clothes. And I think you're meant to make that parallel, but they never say that. Um, But yeah, he certainly sees that as like, this could be my future or whatever, this old drunken man who nobody is paying attention to him and he's just dying. And there was a weird thing with there where as he dies, he hands Jin this like little bag and he says, hold on to this for me, right? And then later in the movie, I think it's uh, Miyuki, the the teenage girl who's the third member of this group, and she's grabbing Jin's jacket for some reason and the bag falls out and we see something tumble out of it. It looked like maybe it was money or something and I thought that would follow up and it just never did. It's a winning lottery ticket, I think. Okay. So yeah. are we meant to assume uh, that they get that winning lottery ticket and become rich? Y- yeah, I think so, but I didn't I didn't catch that until I was reading, you know, uh while doing the research after watching this what that was either. Yeah, I mean I did I remember the moment where you hear the t- on TV they talk about the winning lottery ticket and Jin seems to have had one and he didn't win. So that was something that was brought up, but I wasn't sure exactly what was going on there. Yeah, I mean, I think that is what happened, but uh, we we pieced it together, Josh. <laughs> so maybe mm. the sequel is that they're now rich and they live in a in a, a penthouse apartment uh, like the three men and the baby, or a, a British manor is what I was going to say. Oh, right, where, they go, the, where they go, where they go in the sequel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I really look man, forward to this crossover. This is this is sounding terrible. So. <laughs> um. So what did you think? So you mentioned you mentioned Miyuki, Mayuki, Miyuki, I think it is. Yeah, I think um, so. And she's a teenage runaway. She comes from a well well off 
family. Her father is a policeman and she feels he's too controlling. And uh, there's a crazy flashback where she stabs him, uh, tries to murder him because she thinks that he got rid of her cat and um, he, she feels she's he's too controlling. So she gives him a little stab a Rooney and runs away. Yeah, I know maybe there would be a stronger justification for that stabbing. Like maybe he was. There definitely was not. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can't you can't have it like that he's abusive or whatever and then still want to root for them to reconcile. So I suppose that makes sense. But it does seem like an extreme reaction to the, the getting rid of the cat. I mean, the dad, very forgiving just to be like, ah. No worries. You, you didn't murder me. It was only an attempt. So just, come just on, a come on home. Yeah, exactly. So uh, those few weeks I spent in the hospital, I really reflected on our relationship. Right. I mean, but you don't see because right the the end of the movie is just he walks into that room and she's like, "Dad," and then it's over. So maybe they have it out. But they do see each other before that. Remember, they're on the trains right. that pass each other, and um, and she kind of jumps out of the train so she doesn't have to. So the dad can't find her. Right. But you don't know what he would have said to her if they had actually talked to each other at that moment. Uh, why did you stab me? That's a, that's a fair <laughs> guess. That is a fair guess. So uh, what do you think of the animation uh, in this film and the animation style? Ah, it looks, it's, it's beautiful. It looks great. I, I was very impressed, especially with the interiors of the, um, the dwellings where the homeless people lived and everything. They, they looked like lived in real places. I thought, yeah, there's a lot of detail there. And I mean, I think one of the things about anime too, is that like character design is always very exaggerated, you know, the expressions on people's faces or whatever. And sometimes that in a movie like this, that is theoretically more realistic or grounded, that can be a little off putting, at least to me sometimes, but, but I, I mean, it, it does look good. And, and I think Satoshi Khan has a distinctive, style that's not just i mean there's a particular style that one expects from anime in general but i think he also has a personal style that you can recognize from film to film i think we uh one of the main themes and i have a quote from khan here is using the landscape and the environment as character and tokyo as he says is watching over these people he said when i bought my new digital camera i started taking pictures of such faces of the buildings for fun but i thought that would be a shame to let it uh, end up just as a hobby. So I decided to use them in this film as symbols of the pantheistic gods, the 8 million gods that have existed in Japan since ancient times. Hmm. So to me, where I saw the buildings come to life wasn't where they look like faces in the movie, but over the credits, you see them dancing. Right. And that's kind of where I was like, okay. Yeah. Do, for, do, for, for dancing. Do the buildings have faces? Like literal faces? A lot of them are, they're supposed to look like faces a lot of oh, them. Oh, I totally missed that. Hmm. See, now I'm the one who didn't get the point of the movie. You're dumb, dumb. So true. So true. But that's cool. Landscapes that look like faces. No, yeah. no, that's great. I mean, and that's a, the cool thing that maybe, you know, people like me don't notice on the first viewing. But if you watch it multiple times, you might notice that in the background. If you're not looking at the backgrounds, carefully enough you're focusing on the characters maybe you miss stuff like that i as we all did yeah so uh but i do remember the buildings dancing during the credits that that i did catch well you've saved your credibility then thank you thank you um so which of the coincidences here were too much for you i mean it, it, it might not be like one coincidence it might be the building of coincidence after coincidence after coincidence right but 
you know, it starts with that Yakuza boss and um, he's got to pass the gin. And then, you know, as someone tries to murder him, they, he steals uh, Mayuki and the baby and holds them hostage. And it just, everything keeps building and building. So I think by the end where um, Jin finds his daughter in the hospital and then Miyuki and the dad run into each other in the hospital. It's just like, you know, it's for me, I was just like, all right, a little much, but you know, again, I can't fault it because that's the point of the movie. Right. I mean, to me, I felt like once you buy into that, that happens, then you can, you can go with all of it. You know, once you get to that first moment where they are at the wedding with the Yakuza boss or whatever. And Jin's like, oh, it's that guy. That's the guy who, you know, ruined me because of my gambling debts that they just happened to run into. It's like, okay, that's what that's what kind of movie this is. That's what's going to happen. And you go with it. I agree with you. Yeah. Thank you. So you're welcome, Dave. You I think we're not that into this film. Uh, did, what did you like about it? Yeah, I mean, I really like the animation. Um, you know, I, I always think that these movies look cool, even if I, you know, have trouble following along with them. Uh, but yeah, I think the animation was great. I thought there were some funny moments, you know, that it's very, you know, I, I, I don't know. I was wondering if this is more of an anime thing or a mid 2000s thing, but just that kind of irreverent humor of it, you know, I thought there were some good bits there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just overall, I just have trouble with, some of these movies and so i think this is maybe a little bit i underrated it a little bit you know i know you're referencing my letterbox (laughs) review but uh but yeah it was it was fun though yeah i think anime a lot i mean you know from what i know which is mostly miyazaki stuff right like those type of connections between real world and you know spiritual world and those that kind of big humor um that comes along with that is is common in a lot of those movies yeah, mm, I, to me, yeah. it seems like that. Yeah, that like sort of tonal balance of like almost like slapsticky humor along with serious right. stuff and like supernatural occurrences or whatever is pretty common in a lot of anime. Again, from my limited perspective, you know, well, maybe some 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 more knowledgeable <laughs> anime fans will tell us how wrong we are about all this stuff, perhaps. Well, I mean, hey, at least we're being honest about our um, uh, lack of knowledge of the field, but. You know, I, I I have seen a good amount of Miyazaki movies, and I think that's obviously probably where a lot of people come in as an entry point to to this world. Right. Yeah. Especially these days, he's become such a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, and and I think that the Miyazaki films are closer to this in that they're they're sort of whimsical and they're more of that like magical realist fantasy tone versus like the harder sci-fi that I think was what people mostly new of anime right. like the 80s and 90s ghost like, in the yeah, shell like ghost in the yeah. shell or golgo 13 or akira which is like you know the big gold standard of anime films that first kind of made its worldwide presence known so um i think that maybe has shifted and of course i mean we're talking about it as if it's this monolith but just like any kind of animation there's a wide range of genres and kinds of stories that you can tell with this it's not a genre it's just a medium and and i'm sure people more knowledgeable could point out a whole range of films that take on different kinds of stories and different tones. But that's the beauty of podcasts. You can be an idiot and still talk. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I, I like, um, I've seen a couple of uh, Makoto Shinkai's films that I, those are probably the ones that I like the most, uh, Your Name and Weathering With You. And I haven't seen his new film, Suzumi, which is out this year, but I'd like to. And And those definitely have this very much like fantasy mixed with, reality tone but they're 
they're very like unabashedly romantic. And yeah. uh, I kind of like that about those. So th- those films, for whatever reason, maybe work better for me, even though they have a similar tone to this. I liked Weathering for You. I saw that one. Um, that was pretty pretty good story, I thought. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, my favorite is still My Neighbor Totoro, which, you know, hey, me and a billion other people, right? right. So, so uh, should we give this one a rating out of five uh, abandoned babies? Well, there's nothing more Christmassy than that, Josh. I mean, five five babies reunited with their families in heartwarming oh, moments. Go. Yeah. Not mm. not five godfathers. All right. Well, we could do, do five, five godfathers. No, no. Five reunited babies. Yeah. I gave it three. Three, and I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, I'm with you. I give it three also. I, too, am glad I watched it. I definitely need to, you know, expand my knowledge of anime, and this was a good place for me to go with that. Dave, how would you rate this? I went two and a half, but you know what? Screw it. It's the holidays. Let's make it three. Wow. Such a gift. Dave is bestowing the Christmas <laughs> gift of half a star on this film. Yes. Half a baby. Half a baby. So kind of, I, I think I did this. I listened back recently to our Idle Hands episode, and I'm like, and I was like, you know, it's the holidays. I'll give it three. And I'm like, nope, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, man. Yeah, you were way too generous <laughs> yeah. with Idle Hands. Let's, yeah, let's, let's we all agree. Let's Idle Hands right now. I agree with you. You're on your, uh, you're, I'm on your side on this one. <laughs> all right. We'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Tokyo Godfathers. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this special holiday episode. Looking back at 2003, we've been talking about Satoshi Khan's Tokyo Godfathers. And we've really talked a lot already here about the legacy, which is Satoshi Khan's career that sadly was cut short. Uh, He did make one film after this, as I said, called Paprika from 2006, which returned to the more like surreal sci-fi tone of his earlier films. Uh, He also had created a TV series in 2004 called Paranoia Agent that I'm not familiar with and was working on a final film called Dreaming Machine when he died in 2010 at the age of 46 of pancreatic cancer. And I guess that's something that for a while people were attempting to complete, but it sounds like that's not going to happen. Yeah. So uh, what I read, it kind of reminded me of when David Bowie died and it just like none of us knew that it was happening. Um, And it was also cancer, you know, and then it was like, hey, David Bowie died of cancer. Like We didn't even know he had cancer. Khan kind of just went and lived his life out quietly at home and then left like a final message and was trying maybe to develop like a final project. But we, of course, had Black Star as the final album. So that sort of reminded me of, but it's just, it's sad, you know, obviously when that happens to anyone and you think like, um, you know, both he and the co-writer on this died young and they could have uh, put out a lot more great art. Right. I mean, and, and theoretically, I guess there was a good amount completed on that final film. And maybe if they get the right people involved, it could actually eventually come to fruition. Um, I, I, there's a, documentary, a French documentary from 2021 called Satoshi Khan, The Illusionist, that apparently includes some footage from that uncompleted film. That's not a movie that I've seen. But I do feel like in the last, you know, 13 years since he died, his status as this like legendary anime filmmaker has just grown. Yeah. And he's got a lot of fans in the industry as well. So, um, uh, you know, maybe someone like uh, Darren Aronofsky uh, who's a huge con fan, um, you know, or they say like 
Christopher Nolan has been influenced by him. Maybe someone like that could pick it up and finish or Guillermo del Toro, you know? That would be an interesting choice. I mean, I would have expected like, you know, another Japanese animation director to finish it. But I mean, I imagine that Darren Aronofsky completes Satoshi Khan's final film. Like what kind of, what would that even look like? That would be pretty fascinating. I think any of them, yeah, would be pretty interesting. Um, I mentioned the co-writer, which is Keiko uh, Nobumoto. Uh, she died in 2021. She was only uh, 57. And, uh, you know, she wrote Cowboy Bebop, Wolf's Reign. So she she had a lot of big time uh, credits there, too. Yeah. And the actors here, um, one thing that Satoshi Khan did with these voice actors was casting like live action actors mainly. And they, I think, no, no, no one who's really well known here in the US, uh, Toro Imori, who played Jin, is a very prolific Japanese film and TV actor and is also a theater director. And I think the other stars too have worked extensively in the Japanese film industry, but no, no one that we're really familiar with here in terms of their live action work, but they continue to work. Right. Uh, we watched this. Uh, I think all of us watched it in Japanese with subtitles. Um, but it does seem like this is the type of movie right now where they could pick up like a lot of big American actors and do, um, you know, new dubbings for it in the American language, in the American language, Josh, <laughs> English. Uh, and, you know, kind of do some type of re-release, whether it's on a, you know, uh, anime tile or, or even a theatrical Christmas release. Yeah. I mean, this does, I think, end up back in theaters around holiday time pretty often. Um, G Kids, which is the big anime distributor and other like international animation, but mainly anime, you know, they have a pretty robust program of putting these movies, not only this, but other Satoshi Khan and Miyazaki films and other anime films back in theaters over and over again. Now, I feel like there have been multiple instances where this has been re-released in theaters. And there is an English language dub, which, like you said, we didn't watch. And I'm sure it's fine. I mean, one thing, especially like with Miyazaki movies now, is that these are so popular that they get big name actors to do the dubs. And it's actually well done. I think to me, the like, what I assume about dub movies is it's always like kind of clumsy and rushed and you never want to watch a movie dubbed if you could watch it subtitled. But I think especially for these animated films and because many of them are aimed at children who aren't going to read subtitles, they do a better job with the dubbing. Right. I'm totally open now to see uh, new releases in in either language. Like, boy, in the heron, I'm going to see with the English dub. Right. And is that because you're going to go with your daughter or just you prefer that? No, because I'm going to go with my daughter. But also, like you said, the voice cast is so impressive. I think it's going to rock. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I, I probably will try to watch that at some point, but maybe with the Japanese version, we can compare notes. So, Thanks, Josh. Yeah. No, the, the audience <laughs> is waiting with bated breath. As they are for really anything we have to say because of the gems <laughs> that we offer up here on this podcast. Like that one yeah. right there. So I don't know. Do you have any anything else you want to say about the legacy of this? No, I just think it's cool. Like, you know, as we continue, you know, like, um, obviously, we always talk about how much I love these holiday episodes. But I think it's cool that, like, we're showcasing so many different types of movies you know we started probably with some of the big classics and uh some comedy stuff right and now we you know this year we've done a very strange horror kind of psychological thriller cult classic i'd say and and then this anime film that's got a huge audience 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of range of genre within the, the world of holiday films. And so I, I wonder, you know, as the expert, Jason, if you would say that 2003 is the awesomest holiday movie year. I mean, that seems like an article you should write for one of the outlets that uh, you 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 uh, currently work with. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting, I and mean, we have yet to do a a Hallmark movie for Dave. Yeah, or a, li- a lifetime. Uh, I think Dave's more lifetime than Hallmark, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We like we like it seedier. Yeah, maybe yeah. we'll get there though. I feel like we'll have to research and find like the top most notable one and see if it lines up with any of our years and we can get there next year. Right. We, and you know, I mean, uh, there are a few Hanukkah movies that hopefully we can get to one or two at some point in time. Don't think there are any Kwanzaa movies that I'm sure there are, but I don't know of it. Yeah. Nothing that's really rises to the level of, uh, you know, notability maybe, but, uh, we'll, we'll look into it. So let us know if you have a favorite Kwanzaa movie, (laughs) hit us up on social media, (laughs) give us some feedback. And uh, that is Tokyo Godfathers. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can hit us up with all your holiday recommendations online and on social media. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or J Harris Comedy on all the socials. My letterboxes go for Jason. So go check that out. Uh, Eat This Comedy, I think, is coming back next year. We'll see about that. Uh, We're Awesome Movie Year or Awesome Movie Pod on all the socials. AwesomeMovieYear.com. You can find some old stuff from me, including a lot of uh, old blog entries about Christmas movies, actually, at joshbellhateseverything.com. I am at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at Signalbleed on Twitter X, as well as Blue Sky and on Letterboxd. And if you are on Letterboxd and you watch one of the movies we talk about here, tag your reviews, awesome movie year. Uh, it's just me and Dave now, but we'll get there. We'd love to come on. We'd love to see what you have to say about the movies we talk about, even an older one. You know, you happen to watch one from one of our older episodes, tag it there. We'd love to check it out. And uh, we love Letterboxd. So uh, also you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Jason, what's in our next episode? We're starting a new season. We are. Because it's a new year, Josh. And as we said, it's the original awesomest movie year, 1939. And we are starting with a film that nobody's ever heard of called The Wizard of Oz. So tune in next time for The Wizard of Oz. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.